Welcome to the KDB Review Podcast. I'm Andy Davis, coming live from the loft as always. This is episode 17 of season 2, and we've got a very special guest today as we tackle the often uncomfortable subject for showroom owners of online retail. I'll be talking to the CEO of one of the biggest online bathroom retailers, James Hickman of Plumworld. Now, he's a fascinating guy, and he's very candid and measured about his views on the showrooms versus online debate, but he's also got a lot of insight into how people shop online, and in particular, just how much people really do look around showrooms and then buy online. Hint, they don't do it very much. And if you're not a bathroom person, then don't worry, everything he's saying and talking about is very applicable across the whole of the KBB sector, so it really is essential listening, so don't miss it. But first... I'd really like to remind everyone currently listening to this through their browser that you really should try using a podcast app on your phone, such as Apple Podcasts. It's all free, but it means you can subscribe so you don't miss future episodes, you can see all the previous ones there, and of course you can listen on the go when you go on a state-sanctioned stroll, walking the dog, cooking the dinner, dusting, grouting, tiling the roof, whatever it is you're doing. And if you enjoy these shows, please, please, please rate and review us as it really encourages other people to give us a try. Just simply search KBB Review, all one word, in your app and you'll find us. Right, we've all seen the demand for KBB products wildly fluctuate across the last 12 months for showrooms. But what's happened to online retail? Has the enforced stay-at-home meant more people have been turning to their phone or their tablet to research and, more importantly, buy products for their projects? So, to talk us through all this and more, I'm very pleased to welcome one of the biggest players in that market, James Hickman, the CEO of Plumworld. Hello, James. Hello, Andrew. Uh, How are you today, sir? How are you getting on? I'm getting on very well. Stuck at home, but uh, nevertheless managing to work quite effectively from the home office. Well, that's good. And I'm up here in the loft as always. Now, let's start at the very beginning here, because I think everyone would have heard of Plumworld. Of course, it's one of the biggest online bathroom retailers in the country. But can you give us a brief potted history of it? Because you effectively invented selling bathrooms on the internet, didn't you? That's pretty much the case. My original background is in finance. I'm an accountant by training. And my first sort of foray into the world of heating, plumbing and bathrooms was as the finance director for a company called RWC. And the marketing director of RWC left the business and I took on that role, uh, an unusual combination, finance and marketing, but uh, it worked for me. And one of my first roles was to put together the company website with a local web designer. And this was way back in the sort of mid 90s. And I got so excited by this new technology of the internet and uh, all the potential that it opened up I actually left my finance director's role and set up in business with the guy who'd built the website for RWC. And we started to build websites for client companies. And it was a very uncongested market in those early days. And we actually picked up some quite big clients. We did the first uh, website for Worcester Bosch, the Boiler People, um, Hepworth Plumbing and Diva Taps. So we were quite heavily into the plumbing, heating and bathroom market from the off. But what happened fairly shortly after that was that the customers who we were dealing with wanted to get into online shopping rather than just display websites. And unfortunately, the partner that I'd got was a brilliant creative guy, but he didn't understand how to code web shops. So I wasn't going to let that business opportunity pass me by. I went off to Waterstones and picked up about a dozen books on coding for the web, locked myself away for three months in a dark room 
And when I came out, I was able to build the first online shop. Shortly after that, we split the business. My partner took the clients who were interested in design and graphics, and I took the e-commerce clients, one of which was a company called Online Golf, which went on to become the UK's largest golf retailer. So we had some quite good clients. But I fairly soon realized that the real opportunity wasn't in building shops for other people. It was in running shops online myself. And I decided then to, to pick up on what I knew and started Plum World in October 1999. And we were, as you say, the very first online retailer of bathrooms in the UK. That's eight years before the first iPhone, five years before Facebook, and even before Google UK existed. So we're talking the very early Wild West days there. Amazon was only, what, 94? Yes, yeah. I think Amazon and eBay were about the same time, weren't they, 94, 95? So, I mean, this is really early, early, early doors of internet retailing. You saw the potential for it there and then. I mean, it was a risk back then, wasn't it? It was. It was very unproven, but I just saw it as a, as a tremendous opportunity, as a way, basically, to get product in front of people without them having to come to you. It struck me as a tremendous opportunity with a lot of potential. But in terms of the timescale, it does... It always makes me smile when some of the showroom operators complain about this new internet threat. And we've been doing it for 22 years, which is longer than most of those showrooms have actually been in business. So, yes, that was 1999. Carry on the story. Okay, so business initially was quite slow because we started it as a heating and plumbing targeting the trade. But we rapidly realised that we were well ahead of the trade at the time. Nobody was interested in buying heating and plumbing products online. But we did start to pick up customers who were buying stuff for for bathrooms. So we sort of pivoted the business relatively quickly into a consumer offering that was was focused very much on bathrooms. And the business went from strength to strength. We were pretty quickly the largest of the online retailers in that sector. And around about 2006, I was approached by Grafton Group, who wanted to buy the business to add it into their merchanting and, and retailing portfolio. And we did a deal and we actually sold the business in December 2006. I remained on as CEO. I didn't really know what to do once I'd sold it. And after a lot of soul searching, realized that what I really wanted to do was carry on running the business that I'd started. And for the first five or six years, it was it worked really well. Although it was a PLC, it was run very much as a loose federation of entrepreneurial businesses. And we were allowed to manage very independently. But over time, it became more centralised and more bureaucratic. And it got to the point where we couldn't spend £1,000 without getting the Central Finance Committee to sign it off. And I was spending about 80% of my time reporting on what we hadn't achieved rather than actually achieving. And I'd just about had enough by mid-2018. And I went and spoke to the CEO and said that I'd had enough and would it be possible to do an MBO? And uh, much to my surprise and delight, he said it was. And together with Panoramic Private Equity, myself and the management team bought the business back in 2018. Right. And since then, you've shot turnover back up by about 83% since then. That's the numbers I've got here in front of me. Yeah, since we got out of the the PLC control and we were able to get back to doing what we did best, in the first year on our own, we grew by 22% from 33.5 million up to 44.7%. Last year, we grew another 26%, up to 61.4. 
and this year we're already running well ahead of our budget which had a target of 75 million so overall yeah we're, we're up more than 83 percent since we left and interestingly not only have we been growing the sales but we've also been growing the margins significantly one of the myths about online retail is that it's a race to the bottom and it's all about price but since we left the Grafton Group, we've grown our margins from under 20% to over 25%, which obviously combining the two has meant that our profits have gone through the roof from about 600k in our last year with Grafton to a conservative forecast of 8 million this year. What were Grafton getting wrong then? What, what did they not understand about how to sell things online? I mean, I don't really want to criticise them as an organisation because I think the way that they do things is probably typical of how most major PLCs operate. The thing is about selling things online, it's a very fast-moving, very dynamic environment. And you need to be able to move quick as product trends change. You also need to be able to hold quite a bit of stock to service the customers. And I think the culture in a merchanting group is not to hold a lot of stock to keep the capital very tightly controlled. And that just means as an online retailer, you end up being out of stock a lot and not able to service the customers. The other thing was the central reporting and control. I think when a business gets beyond a certain size, there's a a big pull to centralise everything and and get the control and decision making into the centre. And that really didn't sit very well with us as an entrepreneurial management team. So does this marketplace of online retailing suit the entrepreneurial way of doing business? It does. I think a lot of the businesses that have been um, successful are at heart traders. You know, they like to find good quality products at low prices and then compete in the marketplace to sell them. Um, It's not a great strategic structural business. It's just about finding really good quality, good value products and getting them in front of the customers. And that's what makes it so interesting. I'll get shot for saying this, I think, but I think sometimes there's much more similarities between the mindset of online retailers and independent showroom retailers, independent businesses, than perhaps people would like to admit. That entrepreneurial spirit of moving quickly, making quick decisions. Yeah, I would agree with that. I do have um, a little bit of sympathy with the showrooms because a lot of them are very negative and very anti towards the internet. And I can understand why, because it is a significant threat to their traditional way of doing business but i do think there's a lot of myths that they cling to which they need to let go of one of the biggest ones is that there's this widely held perception that customers do their initial research in in the showroom and the showroom guys do all the hard work of selling the product to the customer and then the customer just leaves and buys it online at a cheaper price And the reality is that just isn't the case. We surveyed 10,000 of our customers who bought branded bathroom products in the last 30 days. And 96% of those had never set foot in a physical retailer before making the purchase from us. And in addition to that, about 55 to 60% of our business comes from house brands that we import directly from factories across the world. And those products are not available to view in any showroom anywhere. So this idea that people need to see the product in the showroom before they buy online just simply isn't true. Another myth that they seem to cling to is the idea that there's an unfair cost advantage because online retailers have lower rents and business rates. And that certainly is true that rents and rates for warehouses are lower than they are for high street shops. But of course, that's only part of the story. Online retailers like us have lots of different costs that the physical showrooms don't. Um, Everything from packaging materials, warehouse staff, delivery costs, 
online advertising, web development teams. Selling online isn't, isn't a cheap thing to do, whereas a showroom gets the benefit of high street passing trade, and that's what they pay the high rents for. If you set up a website and don't spend any money on advertising, you may as well set up a shop in the Sahara Desert. You're not getting any customers. So I think that's it. That's an unfair comparison that they have. I think the real reason why online is so successful is actually convenience. Um, if you think about the mechanics of going to a, a showroom, you've basically got to give up you know, your weekend to drive around to get to these showrooms. You're probably going to struggle to park. It may well be pouring a rain as you're walking to find the showroom. And when you get there, very often, the amount of product on display is actually quite limited. And there's very little that you can take away if you want to have something there and then on the day. So I think there's, there's a lot of convenience around online shopping. And actually, I'm sure if you talk to a lot of these showroom managers who complain about the unfairness of online competition, they probably go home and do shopping on Amazon, watch a movie on Netflix, do their banking on their phone. They appreciate how convenient it is in their everyday life. They just don't necessarily make that transition when it's impacting their business model. Look, it's a very, very complicated issue. To be the devil's advocate here, literally on, on the Plum World site, there is a statement that says we can offer the lowest prices because we are an internet-only business. We don't have any showrooms or retail outlets. So there is a certain element of price marketing there, isn't there? There is, and I think the this is one of the things that has definitely happened with the internet, is you now have price transparency, which you never had before. So if you have, um, let's say, a branded shower, pre the internet, the only people who a showroom would have to compare their price with would be other local showrooms or DIY sheds, people in the local vicinity. What the internet has done is it's made those prices transparent nationally. It's very difficult to sell a branded product at a price above the sort of going rate. And I think the one of the problems is that internet businesses are very good at buying in bulk and shifting product en masse. Uh, warehousing and logistics is really part of our specialty. So it's very difficult for smaller businesses to compete in that box shifting environment, mainly just because of sheer economies of scale. You know, if you take um, a major shower brand, we might spend five, eight million pounds a year with them we're getting full lorry loads of product delivered it's very efficient and very cost effective for us on that front and i actually think if you look at the showroom model the future for showrooms is not in trying to compete with online retailers with branded boxed product there are certain things that showrooms can do that online retailers can't touch them at and that's things like offering a design service to the consumer and actually managing the installation side of the project. And I think that the showroom of the future is going to be much more heavily geared around high-value-added services rather than trying to compete in moving mass-market, mid-range product. The showroom argument, is, and I think the anger that, that is attached to it sometimes, is much more aimed at the supplier, the brands, who they feel shouldn't be dealing with online retail with the same products that they are displaying in their showroom. The same product shouldn't be available in both if one is committing showroom space to displaying it. But I, th I think there is a lot of subtleties to this argument. That there's absolutely no question of that. The research that you've done is really interesting because I, I imagine if we had a showroom manager in front of us now, he could come up with lots of anecdotal stories of, of how Mrs. Smith has wandered into their showroom waving a piece of paper from your website or one of many others that they've printed out saying, look, there's a price here that's much lower than the one you've quoted me. 
Yeah, and I'm sure that that is the case. But there's an interesting alternative way of looking at that, which is even the very best websites only convert about four to five percent of their visitors into customers. And there are reasons why people don't want to shop online. Some people don't like giving their credit card details. Some people like the security of having somebody to go to in person if things go wrong. Some people want more personalized advice about what the right product is. Will it work? And this sort of showroom argument actually works in reverse because the person who is going into that showroom with our price has looked on our website. They've found found what they want but then they've still gone into the showroom to actually make the purchase. Now, okay, they're going to haggle and try and get to the same price, but if they didn't want to do business with the showroom, they wouldn't have taken our price into their showroom in the first place. And I think this is something that showrooms sometimes miss. 4% of the people that we surveyed had been into a showroom. 96% of the people who purchased from us had never been into a showroom. But of all of our visitors, 95% of them don't purchase from us. Now, assuming they're not looking for showers or bathrooms because that's their hobby, they have a need. If they're not buying it from us, where are they buying it from? And the answer in many cases is actually in the showrooms. How do you feel about this personally, James? Do you feel, look, why am I defending myself? I'm just running a successful business just like everybody else is trying to do. There's obviously clearly a demand for this, and therefore, why why all the grief? Or, Or do you feel like you'd like more acceptance or recognition from the wider bathroom industry for the success you've had? Not really. I mean, I I don't feel that we have anything to prove or anything to defend. I mean, if anything, I just would like to see the showrooms embracing the the new reality. What really upsets me is seeing so many sort of traditional showrooms refusing to face up to the fact that things have changed and going bust because there, there isn't really any need for that to happen, but they do need to adjust the business model which I accept is, you know, can be difficult if you've run a business the same way for 10, 15 years to suddenly find that the old model no longer works is definitely going to be a challenge for a lot of people. But there are showroom models out there that do work really well. And we don't have to be sort of competing head on internet versus showroom. The models naturally serve different sectors of the customer base. Let's bring this all up to date to the present day. For the last 12 months, obviously, we all know everything that's happened. Now, what's interesting about your business and every other internet business is you can measure demand and interest down to the you know to the nth degree of literally how many people are looking right here and now what's your assessment of of the ups and downs of the last 12 months was it literally you know that first lockdown nobody was looking at websites and then suddenly it all shut up again what what's your story of 2020 i think to start with in lockdown what we saw was a big drop off in people looking and purchasing larger project items. So we saw um, a a big falling away of bathroom suites, shower enclosures, full bathroom renovation type products. But we did see a jump in sort of repair and maintenance type products like a single set of taps or a single shower. Uh, And I think people were doing what they needed to do and filling that need online, but deferring bigger projects. That probably lasted for about three months. And then we started to see an increase across the board. And I think there's a a couple of things where lockdown has has helped us, both in the sector generally and specifically online. The first one is that more screen time, more working from home, and the fact that there's far less availability of shops to people to go to means that people are buying a lot more of everything online. And I think it's accelerated the move to online shopping 
probably by five or six years because people who were dithering about whether they wanted to make larger purchases online have suddenly had their fear of that removed because they're buying so many things online during lockdown. The other thing that I think has really helped us is the time spent working from home has meant that people are paying more attention to the home environment and people are willing to invest more in that environment, knowing now that not only are they working from home now, but probably even the new normal when we come out of lockdown, a lot of people are going to be spending more time working from home by choice. And I think, therefore, they're going to be spending more on doing their homes up. Okay, so when you're seeing that kind of growth and that kind of demand, obviously you've got to service it in some way. Have you seen the kind of supply chain issues that everyone else has has seen? You know, we've got the congestion at the ports, Brexit, ships on the sea. We've got all these issues going on at once. How have you been dealing with all that? Yeah, it's been, I mean, we've had two problems that we had with the growth. One is supply chain. I'll come on to that in a minute. Um, But the other one was physical premises and people. So one of the things that we did last year was open a brand new 40,000 square foot warehouse in Evesham, which doubled our warehousing capacity because there was no way we could cope with that level of growth with our existing infrastructure. And also people. Last year, we grew the number of people in our team from 58 to 100. And this year, we're looking to take that up to 130. Uh, And we've actually got 15 live vacancies right now for people to join the team. So people and physical space were were a big issue for the growth. The supply chain side has been very, very challenging. We were fortunate in that we ordered plenty of product from China to hold as a buffer ahead of the sort of um, potential problems with Brexit, which actually didn't materialise. So we were quite well buffered when the sort of wheels start to come off the international supply chain. But not to underestimate the, the problems Even now, we're getting um, ships slipping back, container deliveries being delayed, uh, port chaos with things that are supposed to be delivered tomorrow, and then suddenly they can't get any access to the port to pick up the box. Big, big problems on the the whole container front and cost as well. I mean, the cost of a a 40-foot cube from China, early last year, we were paying 1,500 US dollars. That's been as high as 14,000 US dollars, which obviously has a big impact on product cost for us right so the idea that everything online is easy um is is not true either you're facing those same problems that everyone else is you're a successful businessman you're running a big company there as you say you're employing over 100 people given everything that's happened in the last 12 months given everything you're dealing with now we at least seem to be viewing a light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to these lockdowns what do you think the government should be doing next to help businesses like yours and others my biggest desire for, for government is to focus all their efforts on the, the vaccine rollout program to get the economy moving safely as quickly as possible. All of the sort of government subsidies, the, the, the rates, holidays, the furlough scheme, they're all good emergency measures to try and keep things going in a time of crisis. But ultimately, all of those costs are going to have to be paid for by business. And we're going to be picking up those costs for years if not decades to come and the only real solution is to get the economy moving again and the only way to do that is to get the levels of the disease down to more realistic levels when i think the vaccine program is the way they do that but there's a budget coming up in march what are you looking out for 
For us, the biggest fear I have is that they bring in this online sales tax, which they're talking about, which I think is a a play to the politics of online as has been a beneficiary, which which it has. But the problem with things like the online sales tax is that essentially they just get passed on in high prices to consumers. They tried to bring in the, the tax on Google, the digital services tax. And I know because we spend a lot of money with Google and they now have a separate line on their invoice, which says UK government digital sales tax X pounds. So a lot of these sort of taxes end up just being paid for by the consumer. Um, so I'm looking out for that and hoping it doesn't happen. In terms of actual benefits, I mean, I think it would be good to extend the furlough scheme at least until retail is able to get back into shops and operating. Uh, I think it's it's very difficult for businesses that through no fault of their own are instructed by the government to, to close their doors. I think if the government takes that action, it has an obligation to make sure that people are still in business when that, that is released. Right. And what about plans for Plum World in general? You've got a massive growth curve going on there. How are you going to keep that going? We've got a lot of plans. We currently offer around 6,000 bathroom products. Well, say bathroom. It's bathroom and a few kitchen products. We do kitchen sinks and taps, but mainly bathroom products. Our biggest online rival offers over 60,000 products, and that's one of our big pushes. We're going to increase the size of our offering Potentially, we can do that by tenfold. So we're certainly going to put a lot of effort in there. And that covers whole areas of the bathroom market that we don't really touch. Uh, Tiles is one. There's an online tile retailer, Tile Mountain, doing about 50, 60 million in tiles alone. Commercial washrooms is an area that we'd like to get into, along with special needs bathing products. So those are brand new categories that we can break into. But there's also lots of interesting new products in the, the categories that we already serve, both at the higher end and more niche products that we don't currently offer. We're certainly intending to continue the growth curve. Our, our ambitions are to be a 100 million plus business by 2023, with then perhaps a view to floating on the, the aim part of the stock market. The rival you're talking about there, I'm assuming, is Victorian Plumbing. Yes, I mean, they're doing, what, around 200 million, something like that? I mean, you're going to have to double it to kind of get near them. They're currently the UK's biggest online bathroom retailer. How important is that title to you? How important do you want to be the biggest? I think it, it is important because it's it was a title that we had right up until the point that we sold the business to Grafton. And it's a title I'd very much like to get back. But as you say, we're quite a way behind, although I think we're we're definitely on the path now and we know what to do to dramatically increase the scale of the business but it'll take a bit of time because they have a they now have quite a big head start yes but it just shows how competitive that arena is because the only way you're going to get to that point is is by pinching business off them as opposed to both of you coexisting in one place i think there is an element of that but i think there's also a shift in the overall market online so there'll be more business for both of us to go at there's been lots of different online bathroom retailers over the years, and all of them actually operate in slightly different parts of the marketplace. So Victorian Plumbing does have a very, very wide range of products and covers a lot of brands that we wouldn't. And it appears, I mean, I don't know because I don't run their business, but it appears a lot of it is either bought in back to back from distribution um, or is delivered directly by the brands. 
Whereas we've always been much more of a stock it and offer it next day kind of business. Uh, a lot of their products are on like two to seven day delivery. So we, we will always pick up the customer who wants it more quickly. But yeah, I mean, we essentially we're all in the bathroom space. So there's always going to be competition, but we don't fear that. Well, it's such an interesting arena, and as I say, it's such a, uh, in many ways for the showroom retailers, such a controversial one, but I think there are a lot of similarities and a lot of overlaps in the markets that you operate in, but I think that, as you say, there's still a lot of beef to be resolved, mainly from who supplies who, which products. But look, James, thank you so much for sparing us so much time today. It's really, really interesting, and there is only one question left to ask you, of course, and it's as always, it's the most important one very busy guy you're running a big company but even you must get home some days and just think oh what a terrible day i need to cheer myself up you pick up the remote control what movie are you going to put on what is your entry into the silence of the laminates without a shadow of a doubt and without a hint of uh, embarrassment i can safely say it's mamma mia mamma mia wow you know what that is not what i would have chosen for you See, even, even with Pierce Brosnan singing. That is the highlight which I look forward to every time. No, do you know what my favourite bit of that film is? It's when Meryl Streep is singing to him right near the end on top of the cliff, and she sings it all, and he just stands there and emotes. And he's, his face is just such a picture as he's trying desperately to emote all the way through an entire song without really <laughs> saying anything. It's just amazing. But look, James, thank you so much for your time. Like I say, it's been really, really really interesting and it's going to be fascinating to watch what you do next. So we'll catch up again very, very soon. Thank you very much, Andrew. Great speaking to you. Thanks, James. That was the fascinating James Hickman of Plum World. So interesting to hear from someone from what many people listening would probably consider the other side of a battlefield, but it's still very much part of this industry as far as the consumer is concerned. Really good stuff, so massive thanks to him. Don't forget to download that podcast app on your phone and search KBB Review to find us. I'll see you next time.